Praise the Lord. I was going over the lesson, of course, today and, and getting ready for it. And I just felt so strongly from the Holy Spirit to, to talk on one aspect before we actually get into the lesson. Last week, I think most of you that are here, I think everybody that's here was here last week. Last week, we were talking about how we're familiar with the book of life. My name is in the book of life, praise God. But that there are other books in heaven. And we read out of Psalm 139 how before we were even born, how there was destinies written out in these books. And, you know, you start thinking about that. You think about, well, it's one thing just to to grasp the idea that everybody ever born again is in the book of life. But then when you start thinking about books and all the people that have ever been and will be and they've got destinies, you know, I just can't wrap my mind around something that big. And what the Holy Spirit brought to me was, you know, a verse that we've talked about a lot in Ephesians, the third chapter. It says, abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest hopes and dreams. And what the Holy Spirit was speaking to me is that God wants us to expand our God receptors. He wants us to expand our God-given imaginations. We have dream catchers or dream machines, so to speak, in us. And we, we as children, we kind of get that smashed down because children have these fantasies, you know, that go way off, oh, no, no, be realistic, be realistic. But there's a part of you that was given to you by God that is a God imagination that he wants us to expand. Just to give you... Um, a concept of what I'm talking about. This is not on your handout sheet, but in Revelations, um, Revelations, the fourth chapter, um, the last couple of verses, this will sound very familiar to you. It says the 24 elders fall prostrate before him who is sitting on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they throw down their crowns before the throne, crying out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the dominion. For you created all things by your will. They were brought into being and were created. Well, that's fantastic and that's wonderful, but we can wrap our minds around that. You know, that's big. But now go on into the fifth chapter and over in the ninth verse. It says, and now they sing a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals that are on it. For you were slain, sacrificed with your blood. You purchased men unto God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, a royal race, and priests to our God. And they shall reign as kings over all the earth. Well, that's an even bigger picture. That's an even bigger imagination, but you can kind of wrap your mind around that. But then you go on down, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voices of many angels on every side of the throne and of the living creatures and the elders. And they numbered 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying in a loud voice, Deserving is the lamb that was sacrificed 
to receive all the power and the riches and the wisdom and the might and the honor and the majesty, the glory, the splendor, and the blessing. Wow, this is getting big. This is getting big. Can you still imagine this is getting big? But that's not, that's not all. Look at verse 13. And I heard every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in it crying out together to him who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb be ascribed the blessing and the honor and the majesty and the power forever and ever through the eternity of eternities. Did you catch that? Every created thing in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea to all, <clears throat> to all this in it crying out together. Can you imagine what a sound that's going to be? Wow, and we're going to hear it, guys. We're going to hear it. So, you know, when you start thinking about that, you just realize, you know, God, expand my imagination. Expand my thinking and sanctify it. We don't want screwy thinking out here, you know, aliens coming the other way. But, you know, we want sanctified big imaginations. Amen? And so we just say, Lord, sanctify and expand our imaginations, expand our dream catchers, expand our dream machines that you have given us to envision as you do, as you do. And I take that back to um, what we were talking about last week. So, so can you start maybe a little to think that there could be a recording system for every person ever born, a destiny that is planned for them that God wants them to achieve? I was thinking about how um, back in the 70s, I was at the University of Houston, and uh, my girlfriend, who's now my sister-in-law, was taking some computer courses, and they'd carry around these big punch cards that they would use to put in these computers. And if you went to the computers at the, at the university, they filled whole rooms with these big things. Now, look at what's happened, how they've shrunk down and how they hold so much more capacity in such a smaller space. We have a whole uh, vocabulary that's come into being over the last uh, 50 years. 50 years ago, you didn't hear about gigabytes. You didn't hear about the cloud. I even saw a word when I was looking this up called skeuomorphism, which is ways of storing and recovering information. Well, I tell you what, our God is bigger than anything that man has ever come up with. And if a man has come up with this stuff, God's got some skeuomorphisms up in heaven that will hold everybody's name, everybody's destiny, and don't worry about it. He's got a system in place. He knows how to do it, and it's so. Amen? Amen. We ended last week with the, the thought that if you want to discover what's in your book, look in your heart. What are your interests, your desires, your aspirations, your longings, and your passions? These are clues to what is in your book in heaven. Many times our lives become so cluttered and busy that we need the Holy Spirit to come and unveil for us what's in our hearts. When we discover the passion of our heart, we will start to have glimpses of what our kingdom purposes is. Well, that's real nice. That sounds real good, and that's true. But how do you do that? That is one of the reasons why the enemy so wants to water down, play down, 
speaking in tongues, if you learn what it is to operate in the prayer language that God has ordained for each of us to have, you are opening up ways that God will be able to expand what you think. He'll be able to expand your dream catchers. He'll be able to expand your understanding of what his will and purposes are. I want to read you something from um, Gloria Copeland on this subject. She says, how do you adjust your spiritual tuner? By praying in the spirit. Praying in other tongues is the fastest, most effective way I know to tune in to God because instead of praying your own thoughts or plans, you're praying his. The Bible says that when you pray in tongues, you're speaking mysteries to God. In the spirit, you're calling forth parts of God's plan you don't even understand with your natural mind. By the unction of the Holy Spirit, you're praying the perfect will of God. Now, how I, one of the things I see uh, how this fits in with what we've been talking about, we've talked about being in the court of heaven. We've talked about bringing our case or another's case, pointing out where they're missing the mark, asking God's forgiveness for where we've missed the mark, putting a watch at our mouths, and then we bind the work of the enemy, and then we start proclaiming the destiny of God in that situation or for that person. And if you're like me, and I, I believe you are, a lot of times you'll say, well, I, I really don't know completely what that destiny is, but tell you what, Holy Ghost does. Holy Ghost knows that destiny, and that's where your praying in the Spirit comes in. You go into the Spirit, and you're praying mysteries. That destiny that's a mystery to you is not a mystery to him, and we're agreeing with him, and he's bringing those things to pass. Gloria goes on to say, you see, God knows how to deliver his people. He knows how to turn us into the glorious church without spot and wrinkle. He has a plan that will do it. And if we'll tap into that plan and start releasing it into the earth by praying in the Spirit, praying according to his will and not our own, this age will draw to a close quickly. If we'll all get our minds and hearts in tune with what God is doing, there will be an explosion of the power of God that will turn this world around. Start adjusting your spiritual tuner today. Increase your time of praying another time. She says pray a whole hour. If you've been praying 10 minutes in the spirit a day, increase it to 15. If you've been praying 15, increase it to 30. Don't let the thought of an hour overwhelm you. Set your spirit on God's wavelength and just see how quickly the spots and wrinkles begin to disappear from you. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. All right. I, the first thing I want to mention to you is about the devil. We know he is the what of the brethren? the accuser of the brethren. Accusations are what the devil uses to keep us from what is written in the books. This is why many people are frustrated today. They have an intuitive awareness that they were created for something more than they have become. They sense that, that something is resisting them, which is the accusation of the accuser. He knows that if he can get what is... He knows that if we get what is in our book then we will do massive damage to his devilish empire in the earth. Now, we don't have to give way to his accusations. We don't have to let the accuser get us under his thumb. Uh, I think the, one of the first scriptures on your handout tonight 
is Romans, the 8th chapter, the 28th through the 30th verse. We're not going to take time to read that whole set of four verses or three verses, whatever it is. But I wanted to point out to you the second part. You could teach a whole lesson on what it says there, what it means to be foreordained and what it means to be uh, all the different aspects. But just look down at the lower part, verse 30, where it says, those he foreordained, he also called. And those whom he called, now when he called you, you answered. That's why you're here tonight. When he called you, he also justified you. That means he made you righteous. He put you in right standing with him. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity and condition or state of being. A lot of people look at that word glorified and they immediately think, oh, well, he's talking about when he takes us to heaven, but that's not what that means. Justified is what we've been talking about for the last two weeks in the court of heaven. You are justified. You are able to stand in court before the throne of God. You are able to silence the mouth of the accuser. You're able to do all that because you were justified. So then the next step is glorified. Glorified means stepping into all that is written, beginning to live the dream. Um, Henderson says there is a convergence point where everything we have gone through, the good, the bad, works together to propel us into our ultimate destiny. That's what it was talking about at the very beginning of that passage in Romans. We are sure to know that all things work together for good. That's what the glorified is. Everything that we've been through, the good, the bad, the ugly, is working together and converging to prepare us. <clears throat> That's what happened in Joseph's life. As prime minister of Egypt, he became the preserver of life that God had destined him to be, just as it was written in the books of heaven. All the trials he had been through worked together and converged to prepare and get Joseph to the appointed place. From this glorified position, he had the kingdom impact that was predestined by God for him to have. And the same thing is true for us today. Each one of you in here, each one of you listening on the internet, you have a destiny, and it is a good destiny. It's a good plan. It's a plan for peace and welfare, but it's an awesome plan, bigger than you're even thinking at this moment. But we have to do our part to see that it comes about. What heaven wants done cannot happen without our involvement. Even though we are physically here on earth, in the spirit we can function in the courts of heaven and have authority there. Um, We're just going to go briefly over uh, the two Ephesians scriptures that you have on your handout. In Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, it lets us know that God exerted a tremendous power uh, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is a name, above every title that can be conferred, not only in this age and in this world, but also in the age and the world which are to come. So where is Christ right now? And is he standing or seated? Seated. Seated means he's in a place of rule. He's in a place of dominion. He's not having to fight the battle to get the position, he's there. 
But not only is he there, he has allowed us to be there as well. Look at Ephesians 2, verses 6 through 10. It says that, and he raised us up together with him. He made us sit down together with him, giving us joint seating with him in the heavenly sphere, in Christ Jesus. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable riches of his free grace. I wanted to point out to you as we go through these scriptures tonight, you'll see that word grace come up several times. And, you know, we were, and the Amplified always uh, defines grace as unmerited favor, unmerited favor. Well, that works in some places where you see grace, but it really doesn't work in some others. And without going into a whole teaching on that, a better definition of grace is in my notes. It's right, it's right in front of you, but mine is in a different place. Grace is the empowering presence of God enabling you for abundant Christ-like living. So when you gave your heart to the Lord, grace came into your life. You tried before to be good. You tried before to do it right, and you would just fall on your face. But now God's grace is upon you. What is his grace? It's not just his unmerited favor. God's grace is the empowering presence of God in in enabling you for abundant Christ-like living, victorious living. All right, so back to where we were. It's by grace that you're saved, that through, uh, through your faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. All right? Um, okay, where are we headed? So in that position, we have some authority too. We're not going into the court of heaven just begging for things to be done. We have authority. When we use the name of Jesus, when we use the blood of Jesus, when we use the word of God, when we stand and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, The devil does not have power over us. We have the upper hand. We have the dominance. Praise God. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 16, we're going to talk a little bit about what Christ is doing in the heavenly court. He is our high priest there. In the Old Testament, the high priest had a job. In the Old Testament, the high priest's job was to provide God with the legal right to bless Israel instead of cursing them. In the New Testament, Jesus not, doesn't offer the goat of doesn't offer the blood of goats and rams. He offers up his own blood to bless us instead of curse us. He's our high priest. In Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16 it says Inasmuch then that we have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our infirmities to the assaults of temptation, but we have one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. That grace can be called God's presence, the throne of God's grace, his presence, that we may receive mercy for our failures 
and find grace, which is God's power, to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help, coming just when we need it. Can you praise God for that? Praise the Lord. So we have a wonderful high priest who's touched the feelings of our infirmities. He's there in court for us. We don't have to go to court alone. In that verse, you notice where it says um, that, this great, that Jesus is a great high priest passed through the heavens. That's significant that he says he passed through the heavens. The, because what that signifies, that's where the powers of darkness prevail, is in the heavens. We have the high heavens where God sits, and then we have the spiritual heavens that hovers over the earth where the darkness and the despots and so forth are. Well, Jesus passed right through that. Uh, the powers of darkness that occupy these spiritual dimensions called the heavens could not stop Jesus from taking his legal place as high priest. Why? Because of his absolute obedience to the Father and because he shed his innocent blood for us. Those powers of darkness have no power to keep him from his place at the right hand of the Father. Those powers have no power to keep him from interceding from us, for us. The result is that they have lost their... The, let me get my days right. The result is that these principalities have now lost their legal right to rule. And it's our job as the church to execute and administrate this judgment on the earth. Um, Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive together with Christ. Having freely forgiven us all our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of legal demands which were in force against us and which were hostile to us. And this certificate he has set aside and completely removed by nailing it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, the supernatural forces of evil operating against us, he made a public example of them exhibiting them as captives in his triumphal procession, having triumphed over them through the cross. Praise God. So, what it's saying there is, lost my place. What it's saying there is that that judgment that was against us, that judgment that would have allowed the devil to continue doing whatever he wanted in our lives, uh, giving us all kinds of trouble and problems and ultimately taking us to hell, all that he held against us has been nailed to the cross. They've been, he's been disarmed. He's been triumphed over. The cross of Jesus was a legal transaction. The cross of Jesus was a legal transaction. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. It says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That word reconciling, 
Every legal issue that separated God from man was taken away through the cross. We have been reconciled. That reconciliation happens when a person legally grabs hold of what Jesus did and makes it their own. Repentance grants God the legal right to show us his mercy. When you don't repent, you allow the accuser to kill, steal, and destroy. Well, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is God letting this happen? No, it's not God. We need to repent. We need to stand in our righteousness. We need to shut the door so that the killing, stealing, and destroying doesn't come upon us and its source is the enemy of darkness, not Jesus, not God. Um, We've talked a couple of times about, you know, what our part was in behalf of other people. You know, it's easy to talk about repentance for yourself, but what do you do for others? And, and I think we've pretty well come to the resolution. We're talking about intercession. We're talking about mercy for that person. We're talking about saying, yes, God, I know they're wrong. I know they're not doing it right, but I'm saying that they're going to come to their senses. They're going to realize that they're going to be like that prodigal son and come to themselves and they're going to turn from that, and I'm going to stand here in their place for them until they're able to come and stand in this place for themselves and ask your repentance. And God honors things like that. Gloria Copeland talks about that, uh, her oldest son, John. She said he was just a terror. He was, he, he was on everything fast, and he was always turning things over and upside down, and he just uh, wasn't living close to God and was living kind of a reckless uh, life, but she said one day she, I think she was on the plane, and God just spoke to her heart and said, "said Gloria, my mercy hovers over John," and that's what happens in our lives too, especially as we stand there as intercessors for them in prayer. We can say, "I thank you, God, that your mercy hovers over John. Your mercy hovers over so and so," and then we begin to speak out what are the dreams, the destinies of God for them and to believe it for him. I read something uh, this week, uh, I can't remember what it was in, but it was from Copeland's office, where he was saying, the biggest thing in your life right now that you're speaking to God for, that you're petitioning God for, he said, set yourself a timer every hour, and every hour, thank God for answering that. Thank God for doing that. Well, I haven't set a timer, but I've said, Lord, you bring it to my attention. And as often as he brings it to my attention, you know, hour or whatever, I am going to thank you for that. There is power in our praise. There's power in our thanksgiving. And the devil hates to hear those words coming out of our mouth. Praise God, they make a difference. We're not just going through a religious act. We're doing something that's a thing of faith, and it has results, positive results. You believe that? All right. Um, legal imagining. We talked about that. We were talking about the reconciliation. Did I get through that? Yes, I did. Okay, here I am. The next thing I want to talk to you about is what our part is as the church in bringing about destinies. Kind of been talking more on an individual basis, what I as an individual do, but let's talk about the church. In Matthew... The 16th chapter, verses 18 and 19, uh, we have an encounter 
between Jesus and Peter. And Jesus said this to Peter. And he says, and I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All right, uh, I believe most of the people that are here tonight, you're familiar with that scripture and you've heard it before. And we know that when he said, on this rock I will build my church, he was not talking about Peter being the rock on which he'd build his church. He was talking about the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah was the rock on which the church would be built. But what I want to draw your attention to is the word church. I will build my church. The Greek word there that they took the word church from is ecclesia. Ecclesia. The, that word means a judicial, legislative, and governmental people of God. So when he said, I'm going to build upon my, build it, on this church, I'm going to, I'll get it right in a minute. On this rock, I'll build my church. He was talking about building a judicial governmental people of God. These would be people who would be granted legal positions on the earth and before the Lord. We have been given the right and authority to get things legally in place so that God's will can come into the earth realm. You know that in the beginning that when uh, Adam and Eve um, gave in to the serpent's demands that treason took place and Satan was allowed to take what had belonged to Adam and take over the right to do things in the earth. Okay, this is the way that we're getting that back from him. We're getting it back uh, as part of the church. Um, there's another term I want you to look at in that verse. Uh, you've looked at it many times before, bind on earth, bound in heaven, loose on earth, loosed in heaven. At their root, the words bind and loose are legal terms. Bind means, speaks of getting a binding contract in place. When you bind something on earth or bind it in heaven, you're getting a binding contract in place. To loose means, uh, speaks of dissolving an existing contract. So that's a legal term also. I was going to read you something from Henderson's book. If I take my place. Jesus was saying that the Ecclesia had a judicial responsibility to establish binding contracts with heaven that allow God the legal right to invade and impact the planet. The Ecclesia also has the job of legally dissolving contracts with the devil that allow him to operate in the earth. When we learn to get legal things in place, we can then see the devil expelled and God's will established. This is our job individually and corporately. Jesus did this for Peter. In Luke, the 22nd chapter, verse 31 and 32, uh, Jesus is speaking, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In that verse where it says, ask for, Satan has asked for you. In Greek, it means 
Satan has demanded for trial. Satan had developed evidence against Peter to try and thwart what was written in the books of heaven about him. He, he was destined by heaven to have a radical and dramatic effect which would do massive damage to Satan's empire and establish the kingdom of God. Satan wanted to disqualify Peter in court and stop the agenda of God for the earth. But Jesus prayed for him. Jesus was as we are in the earth. We can do the same thing. We can step in for those that are not doing everything like they should and ask God that their faith fail not. And ask God that the covenant, not ask, declare that the covenant destiny will come about in their lives. Satan is the accuser. He brings evidence to disqualify us from what is written in our book. Look at Revelations, the 12th chapter, verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night. How often did he accuse them? Day and night. Has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to death. Praise God. Our job is to nullify the accusation by our response so that God has the legal right to grant us what is written. Our response, our response. It can't be just any response. It has to be a response of agreeing with the word of God. I mentioned to you last week, and I told you I'd tell you where it was found. I wrote it down. So, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 says, By the testimony of two or three witnesses must any charge and every accusing statement be sustained or confirmed. So, when we come to court in heaven, we've got to get two or three voices saying the same thing. You get to heaven. God's word is saying this is the way it's supposed to be. This is what's going to happen. The devil's over here saying they don't deserve it. It shouldn't happen. I don't believe it. Who are you going to agree with? You can be that deciding factor. You can be that one that stands uh, as the agreement with God, or you can be the one that stands with the agreement with the devil. Always make the right choice. Amen? All right, let's see what I need to finish up with. Yeah. Um, so, I didn't bring that with me. I see if I can remember it. Bill Johnson brought this out really well. He said, God is God in heaven. I'm not getting as good as he does. But God is God in heaven and he has power. We have been given power in the earth through our, our, uh, our connection with him. He, God has authority. He's given us authority. Satan does not have any authority. Both, but, 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 but where does he, Satan get authority? It's when we turn it over to him. We've got to quit doing that. It says here, when you agree with the liar... You empower the lie. When you agree with the liar, you empower the lie. People, watch your words. Watch your words. And it's not just a matter of watching your words. You've got to get full of the word in order to watch your words. 
It's, it's got to be a thing of the heart, not just a thing of the brain or a thing of the mouth. It's got to be a thing of the heart. Praise the Lord. All right. Do I have anything else I needed to do on the lesson? I think that's kind of our stopping place for tonight. Now, next week, we're going to do something a little different. Um, we've been going uh, pretty much from uh, Henderson's book on the courts of heaven, you know, adding scriptures and so forth to it. I will tell you that um, we're not going to cover the whole book for one thing. Uh, secondly, there are some parts, not a lot, but there are some parts I don't really agree with. And so I'm not going to cover those parts. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to stick with the parts that we know from what we know of the word are good. And, and if you want to know, well, Joy, what is it you disagree with? Well, come talk to me. I'm not going to teach you from here, but I'll talk to you on the side about it. But um, anyway, what we're going to do next week uh, we're going to look at one of the first court cases we see in the Bible, which is Job. And um, there are a lot of misteachings on what that was all about and what kind of doctrines or thoughts that we can pull from that. But um, our church's friend, uh, Brother Gerald Davis, wrote a book on that subject back in 1996 called uh, But What About Job? And so that's going to be the basis of our teaching next week. We're going to look at the book of Job, see what we can learn about Job, what's good about it, <coughs> and what has been mistaken about it. And I believe it will be very helpful to you because there's some people out there that think getting beat up all the time is God's idea and I just got to go through this and say, though he slay me, yet I'll trust him. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But there's some, some things that we need to know about the book of Job and that's what we're going to cover next week. Um, do we have thoughts, questions, testimonies? We have time, and I love your input. Y'all are just as peaceful as pie. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for you, this good word that you've given us tonight. We call it good seed. We speak in agreement with you that that good seed will go down, that our hearts are good soil, that it brings forth good fruit. And Lord, it helps us to do what you've called us to do. It helps us to complete our destinies and our part of your plan. We love you, Jesus, and it's our greatest desire to complete your will and do it well, to hear you say, well done, now good and faithful servant. Lord, we thank you for helping us in all this and helping us to be extenders to those around about us of the good word and the joy and the good news at this year season of the year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>